It's August 6th, 2020. This is Rook. There are no shortage of finding success against all odds stories in the Iranian diaspora, and those stories need to be told. For example, imagine the discipline, fortitude, and focus it takes to be a world-class medal-winning athlete. Then imagine you're doing so as a woman in a traditional male-dominated sport. Then imagine that your family escaped from Iran and brought you to the West as a little kid with nothing in their pockets but the hopes of making a life. Karate champion and now Canadian national team coach, Nas. Nassim Vadastir is in the Rook studio today. This is Conversations From To and About the Iranian Diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Bienvenue to episode number 33 of Rook. That's the Tundad Nakona. Are you laughing Can at I us? not say that to the audience, Shia? <laughs> Can I not speak to the audience without you interrupting me, it's, please? It's your lahja he's laughing at. That's me. That's the Tundad Nakona. It's Thursday. So as you can hear, some of the dream team is here in the in the studio. <laughs> Hello, the fabulous Kia. Hello, Gian. How are you? <laughs> I can't you. help but giggle sometimes. Uh, you, just, you, you bring it out you in you me. You certainly can't. <laughs> That's the thing that I'm not going to. Uh, Captain Reza, greetings to you. Thank you very much. Greetings to you too, Mr. And Yamashi. hello, Groovy Shia, Shia June. Hello, Saratundar. <laughs> No, do you know this is a response for, I mean, if somebody say to you, that's a dar you have to say sarat dar You know, you know what I like about you, Shaya? Yes. Everything's a teaching moment. It's like with my dog, Oogie, you know, <laughs> when I, it, it, he's going to be, it's time for food. I have to teach him. He's still learning. He's a puppy. So, so, and with you, I can't, you know, anything I say, you, you, it's a good opportunity for you to teach me. But you know, what's interesting about what? Shia, he's either teaching or learning. So he's, he's either being <laughs> taught right. or That's teaching. Right. But there seems like, like there's that. a little bit of, um, uh, I don't want to say it's patronizing, but there's a little bit of, a little extra gusto sometimes to his teaching. <laughs> he feels you know? Good. Well, look at me and you. How good is our far? So he's probably feeling really good about himself. It does. He feels empowered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let me, let, 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 we'll play this out. Uh, hey, Shia. Yes. And then what do I say? Merci. I'm sure you could take it further. You could always All keep right. going. With By the way, Keon, is it still your birthday? It was my birthday last week. I know, but Jean. I keep seeing you. <laughs> Thank you. You keep posting pictures of you on birthday trips. I'm, and I'm just enjoying my summer at happy, this point. 
happy birthday <laughs> to you. you. I don't know if we said Thanks it last for week. Thanks for the week late. Key on June. <laughs> it was July um, 20th, in case you were wondering. By the way, I don't think I told you guys this. After the, uh, I was kind of saving it, after the Baba Kamini interview on Monday, uh, it was a great show, a great interview, it felt really good. You know, uh, I was feeling pretty great about myself. And I, I go home and I, I don't get home till late. You know, we had taped the interview and we had to post it and everything. I felt I had these ideas. I'm going to get home, going to make myself a pasta dinner, have a chill night. I get home pretty late in the evening. I drive up to my house. There's, I start to see debris and cables and things and half of a tree next to my house because there was a storm oh. I had cut why are you laughing at no, this no I'm this just is, I'm waiting for the punchline I know you're yeah, smiling so, so, uh, so, <laughs> so I'm like it must be a funny one I, I'm just so happy to be here <laughs> the st- the happy to be anywhere at this point the uh, the tree uh, a tree fell and br- took down the cables like the power cables and all that so so uh, I had no comp- like no uh, cable or internet or power and uh, so I just wow. sat in my house in the dark with my dog <laughs> uh, uh, as a celebration of the Baba Kamini interview. With the pouring rain on hold with 311, which is the city, you know, to, oh to try and get to. So to get, that's my. Um, it's quite the celebration. Yeah. must have been traumatized. Ugi was wondering what's going on. He was definitely wondering what, what's going it's on. It's your fault. He was definitely confused. We, uh, we have. Uh, much to get to today. Uh, we have uh, lots of uh, interesting letters of the week. We will get to those, right, Keon? Indeed. The fabulous Keon. Uh, so you will be back, uh, Reza, Shia. Stick around and let me get to our featured guest who is walking into studio. Anyone who ever suggested in some antiquated and chauvinist way that women are not tough enough for martial arts has probably not witnessed the sporting career of our guest today. Nassim Vadaste is an Iranian-Canadian athlete who has carved out the moniker of Karate Queen for herself in what has been a traditionally male-dominated sport. She is the most accomplished Canadian karateka in the history of the sport and one of the most respected competition karate coaches in the world. With two silver medals in the World Championships and five Pan American titles under her belt, she is a second Dan Karate legend who has had an extensively thriving career as a competitor. She also happens to be the daughter of Dr. Fadhod Vadaste, the man who was the pioneering founder of karate in Iran, a sport that has become very popular among Iranians. Nassim is a 12-time national champion for Canada, who is also a highly successful sport club owner and instructor and has worked alongside Karate Canada's national teams. She has been the recipient of numerous awards throughout the years, including the Karate Ontario Sportsmanship Award, three consecutive years as Karate Ontario Female Athlete of the Year, the Karate Association, the National Karate Association Sportsmanship Award, the elected Canadian Olympic Committee Athlete Representative for Karate, and the women's team captain for the national team. She was also one of two athlete role models in the Youth Olympic Games in Buenos Aires in 2018. Nassim is a mother of two who was born in Iran, moved to Canada when she was six years old. She is currently the national team head coach for Karate Canada and the only female head coach of a combat sport in Canada. And right now, Nassim Varaste joins me in the Rook studio. Hello. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> Very nice to have you here. It's really a pleasure to be here. It's exhausting reading your accomplishments. 
You did really well. <laughs> there's there's too really many. Good. And I left a lot of them aside. That's I didn't okay. go through all the well, awards. Well, you, you pretty much got the main ones. I got so. the gist of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, what I really appreciate about you, despite the fact that you were actually born in Iran, is that I, I think your Farsi is actually worse than mine. It's, Yani, in Gadar Keman Bad Hasta, to Asan Bad Tarasti, I think. You should have seen how bad I was a few years ago. <laughs> like, I think you would have cried for me. So. <laughs> uh, and I think my latcha is better than yours. That's what I'm running with anyway. <laughs> sure. Listen, this COVID time has undoubtedly been a tough time for you. And uh, I, I can imagine business-wise as a gym owner, but also the national team can't be competing around the world or uh, engaging in the kind of practices even that you were, you were doing beforehand. Um, I hear gyms are, are reopening. Are you back to teaching? Are you Is the national team back in the swing of it now? So, I mean, in terms of my own business, it was obviously tough, just like it's been difficult for all the businesses and most, most business owners. Um, we closed in March. I actually closed the school down before the government mandated us to do so, just because we had so many families coming back from Iran after the spring break i just didn't want to have anybody getting sick at our school and then a week after we closed the government mandated all the the gyms and martial arts and everybody just to to uh, close down was it scary for you when things shut down it wasn't scary i mean it was just like you need to understand that this is the best for everybody so i mean it was not convenient by any means but i mean it was what, what what needed to be done. So because of Corona, you're not flying around as much, and you're not out of town as much, so you could come into the studio and do absolutely, this interview, which absolutely. is great for us. Uh, but I've heard you say that you've often avoided doing interviews; that you're kind of shy when it comes to doing interviews, which really surprised me. Uh, I'm sure I'm typecasting you here, but watching you do karate and knowing the kind of career that you've had that certainly takes a lot of stamina and, and confidence and perseverance and self-awareness, uh, it surprised me that you were shy about interviews. I've learned to come out of my shell in these last couple of years. I have this discussion with my husband all the time. He's like, he's like, how come you don't take these opportunities on? How come, how come when you're asked, you uh, decline? And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like it just doesn't suit my character, but I feel more and more that people want to know my story, and and I'm and I'm slowly opening up to it. So, what was it about? Why why would you be shy about it? Um, really? I don't know. I've always been an introvert. I've always been a very private person. I've always been a very quiet person. Um, I've never boasted about my 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 accomplishments. When I was in high school and, and in university, it's like I could have been achieving everything that I was. I was national champion and nobody even knew about it. You know? Really? I was, see, I was going to get to that. Yeah. I, I was wondering if while you were at York, people know that you're this karate champion. Well, it got out, but it didn't get out through me. <laughs> it always got out through my friends or somebody said something or, you know, I'm, my friends were always very proud of me. So they would always end up introducing me as so-and-so and I would be like hitting them in the side. I'd be like, stop it, stop it. Have there been situations where you, I mean, not now, that where, you know, you'd be in your 20s with your friends at a bar and your friends would go, she's actually a karate champion. And, and then people would come over and clearly want to talk to you. Uh, how, how would you deal with that yeah, as an introvert? I mean, I mean, it was just so embarrassing. I would just like <laughs> turn every shade of red and just like <laughs> cover my face. And eventually, I mean, people ask and they're interested and you have to engage. You have to talk about it. Do you think people find it alluring? 
I think people are always curious when you're a unique character, somebody who is not typical. So, of course, I think there's definitely some sort of allure to it. Uh, I want to get into your story um, that I'm grateful that we get to do an interview to hear about. But um, let me start with karate. There's something mystical, kind of romantic notion around um, traditional martial arts and, and, and combat sports, you know, that that there are important values imbued in it, like discipline and focus and respect and honor, um, that you would somehow take those values and apply them in your life if you are practicing regularly. Is that a bit of a myth or is that actually true? I think it's, I mean, for me, it is very true because it's something that my father was very always, he, he was always very... Um, insistent on that and he always pushed that um in the class with all of his students um so it's something that i believe that i practice um and i hope i do and i hope that i reflect that um but you know in sport it's different i mean karate's only become a sport in the last let's say 50 years so i find that more as we have become part of part of the sport and sport and olympic movement there's this growing disconnection between um, between the martial arts spirit and between the sport. A disconnect that you lament. That I don't necessarily like, but mm-hmm. I think it's it's just a natural, natural byproduct. But something like respect and honor. I mean, how, how does that transfer from, you said it, it were, it's something that has occurred in your life, that you've taken that outside of your training and your competing, and how does it, manifest itself I think in our daily interactions with everybody you know and just and just how you view the world how you view others regardless of their skin tone of their background of their of their career of of whatever you do it's 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 how you treat others it's how you view yourself and you teach that while you're teaching karate absolutely absolutely we do I mean it's how we we behave with the students. It's how we ask them to treat each other during class. And you know, the students have to bow to the instructors. The instructors have to bow to the students. The students have to bow to each other. And there's this etiquette that is strictly enforced in the class. And you know, when the kids are in it or the students are in it long enough, and they actually, it creates a very, very nice balance and harmony in the class, regardless of the fact that if we're sparring or if, you know, sometimes things can get a bit competitive, but at the same time, you always bow at the end. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? That, uh, I mean, I know this is probably a naive thing to say. People who are very involved in martial arts probably hate me for saying this, but it is, on the face of it, it's fighting. I mean, it's sparring. And for so for that sport, from that to emerge respect and honor, as opposed to hockey or basketball or something uh is is interesting sparring is just one small part of the picture and i think it's just it's the part that is most interesting for people outside of the martial art is they focus on the combat and on the active combat but in in reality it just it it represents a very small part of your actual practice of martial arts so tell me about focus because I, I, I know you've said um, in one of the very few interviews you have done, you said uh, when you're competing, it's all about focus. So what are you focusing on when you're competing? Well, it depends. So, it, I mean, when you're actually on the floor competing, it's just it's an accumulation of time. So every like it's it's how we wake up in the morning. It's it's 
what we think about it's how we talk to ourselves in our mind it's 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 that dialogue that i have with myself um but hmm, how do i make this very simple um <laughs> how do you focus are are, are we talking about the day of competition specifically or for me as a coach, how do I define it? Or for me as an athlete, how those, I define it? Those are great questions. What, what's, I'll tell you what's in my mind. In, in music oftentimes, uh, not classical music necessarily, but say contemporary music, you want the musician to uh, practice, practice, practice as much as possible. But when they get on stage, you don't want them to be thinking about being technical. You want them to just play, man. You Absolutely. Know? So I'm wondering if it's something like that. If if there's some kind of focus on, but I, but I want to know what it is when it comes to karate. I mean, are you literally thinking I've got to move my hand like this and my leg like this, or by the time you're out there, are you just doing it, uh, what comes naturally somehow, and focusing on the game, kind of? I would say it's exactly as you described it. It's just, it's allowing yourself. It's just, for me, it was always about just focusing on staying relaxed and focusing on, on my breathing. Um, because really all of the work is done. You have been in training for months. You have been in training camps for months. You have done all of the work. You have done all the practice. So now you just need to relax yourself and be present. Allow yourself to be present and to commit yourself to that match, regardless of the outcome. So this is what I had to focus on, was not to focus on the results, but focus on the process that would allow me to be present and ready when I step onto the mat. Are you a really disciplined person? I was a very disciplined person. You are not anymore? I am, but I mean, as a competitor, I was extremely- But are you in life? Are you regimented? Do you, uh, is it kids, we're going shopping now, and then at this time we're gonna do this, and then I've gotta get back to the gym, and. I would say so. You yes. are like that, aren't you? <laughs> I would say so. You can't so. take the girl out of the out of the the the, the super Jeez, athlete, right? I never actually thought of it that, but yeah, I mean, I would say that. But I am more flexible, especially now that that I have kids, and I don't want to make them neurotic or anything like that. So I, I mean, I try to have a good balance. Um, but in you're my not life. messy. Everything's in 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 its place. I bet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like to say that, yes. <laughs> I mean, you mix the Iranian with the superstar athlete and you, the OCD is through the roof, I think. <laughs> Sadly, yes. I, I want to get into your story, Nassim. Let me start with a quote, okay? Excellence is not an act, but a habit. Aristotle. What can you tell me about that quote? Who taught you that quote? My father taught me that quote. Tell, tell us about your dad. Wow, so many people would say that I've actually inherited quite a bit from my father in terms of like how we how we are. Um, he was a very kind man. He was funny as hell. Like I, I always got a kick out of his humor. It was very witty. Um, he was very honest. I mean, that's, I mean, it was one of his strengths and probably one of his, his weaknesses was that he was always honest. Um, if he didn't like you, you knew that he didn't like you, <laughs> you know? Um, he was a very good teacher. He knew how to approach teaching differently depending on the student. Um, I should note, I mean, I did in the intro, but that, that he is, he's a legend for bringing karate to Iran, right? Yes, yes. So where did he get that from? So that's another story. So um, he was in 
boarding school in England as a small boy, and he decided one day to pick on this Japanese boy, and he ended up getting beat up by this small little Japanese kid. And he was like, what was that? I've never seen anybody do that. And the kid was like, oh, I do karate. And it wasn't like something that was widely practiced um, at the time. And uh, he became interested and he took up karate. And my grandfather was sending him to Japan to learn karate. So he actually used to travel to Japan um, to learn this martial art that he'd become so fascinated with. And he was learning karate as he was doing his studies in, in Europe and Geneva. So... And so by the time you're born, he's a, he's a legend in karate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was working in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs at the time. Um, karate was not something that he ever um, planned on making his career. It was just it just simply happened because he brought this this new martial art, this new thing to a country where everybody just very quickly just became fascinated it it sort of follows somebody who is the progeny, somebody who's the kid of someone who's been so successful in one particular area. Reshte, you know, it, 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 you, you, there's this expectation. Well, of course, but is that true? Was it? Were you destined to be a karate kid? I don't know. I mean, like, had I been born in a different family, I'm not sure I would have gone this path necessarily. I think I was naturally inclined to be competitive and to pursue a sport absolutely i think i had i was always rough and tumble when i was a little girl i was like i don't know tackling kids in the soccer field and just like it was like i didn't know soccer without tackling like what do you mean you can't talk tackle in soccer do you do you think he wanted you to go into karate this is this is i mean i have two i have two older sisters who we were free to pursue it like i want to say that like he encouraged us to stay in it just to learn self-defense and to be active um but but he wasn't pushing it on you he he didn't push it on them as much but i feel like he pushed it on me a little bit more (laughs) just because i feel like he saw my potential and he saw that maybe there was something there so that he 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 recognized the spark in me so he he definitely nurtured it and when was the moment when you knew that this is something that had engulfed you, that you had such a passion for? I actually hated it when I started it. You did? So, yeah, I, I started when I was six. I hated it all the way until I was 12. And, um, huh. yeah, and then when I was 12, I 12 or 13, I had my first competition, and I went and I just smoked everyone. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, I kind of like this. <laughs> and then that's when it all started for me. Really? Yeah. So, wow. So you spent a few years not being so happy about being in, in, in karate. Yeah. I mean, my That's father- incredible because, you know, the, 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 the traditional story, you know, Pele or Gretzky or something, it's like, well, I, I, as soon as I was on the ice, I knew that that was my dream forever, you mm-hmm. know. And so to hear someone who's ascended to the heights that you have in a sport say, actually, I wasn't that hot on it for the first few years is really interesting. Yeah, I think, number one, my, my father, having been my coach, he was always tougher on me than he was on all the other kids in class. And he always had very high expectations of me. Like if I didn't work hard enough, I definitely heard about it, the drive home. Um, and I, I think it was that it was that feeling that he ha- he was harder on me, that I may not have liked it as much. 
um, he always made me spar with like some of the stronger boys and stuff like that. And I would get hurt sometimes. So, but when I saw that when I went to my first competition and I just I blew everybody, up. yeah, I I cleaned <laughs> up and I had a lot of fun doing it and and I was just kind of like, you know what. I could do a little more of this. So I want to get into your competitive streak, but but let, but first, you've said that. I mean, he wanted you to be number one. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's great. You know, come on, you can do it. But it's also uh, a little worrisome. You know, that's a lot to put on a kid, especially when you're you're you know that your dad is is someone who people who people have looked up to in this sport. How do you feel about the fact that he wanted you to be number one? I think it was good for me. Um, I think it allowed me to set the standards very high. Um, but I think it's very different than what we're doing now as coaches with kids. We just encourage them to go have fun and don't worry about everything and just do it. And I think, you know, that's something that we brought back from us from our from our Iranian culture is that we have that in our culture. We allow ourselves as, as, as parents to, to verbalize are very clear expectations to our kids and say you know what if you're going to do something go and just if you're going to do it go and be great at it so but see my my dad was like that with me too and uh, and if it's such a great thing then why wouldn't we want to do it why wouldn't you be practicing that with your younger students or with your kids yeah i mean in other words you know that there's something about it that that can be troublesome I don't think it's something you can say to just anybody. I think you need to recognize the talent, number one. You need to recognize that this individual has the willingness to to attempt to reach these heights. So it's not just some, some you cannot mindlessly throw your expectations out. You you'd nev- definitely need to put some thought into it. But when you know that you have a pupil who is determined, who has the work ethic and who has the talent, I think when you say that, you know, you can be number one, it's actually very empowering here's the problem here's the problem and i think this is an iranian thing and 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 let me preface it with the disclaimer that my dad was the best ever i love <laughs> you know he really was but he the problem is when nothing's ever good enough right mm-hmm. so every, anytime i would dad i got an a plus or you know i i won this award that is great but please work harder I mean, it became such a joke. I used to say it on my show, and people would know that that was my dad's mantra. You know, like, and so, could your dad be happy if you won, or was it okay, kid? But <laughs> you got to work harder. It's got to be better. This is where I feel like he succeeded. Was that whether I won or whether I had a bad competition, he was always he always gave me that reassurance and that love. And I think it wasn't just plain expectations. And then, you know, if I got second, he was extremely happy for me. Um, and he was always very loving. So I think that's where we, we, we were able to strike that balance. There's another element here, um, obviously, which is that you weren't just following the footsteps of uh, your legendary founder of karate in Iran, your dad. You're female in a male-dominated sport. Tell me how much a drive for equality and female representation in karate has been important to you? My father was a very open-minded man. I mean, since I was a kid, he was he would always tell me there's no difference between what you could achieve as a woman than what any other man would be able to achieve. And this is something that I always believed as a child. I always believed it, you know, like he would take me out to buy running shoes and we'd end up in the men's section and I'd be like, well, daddy, these are boys shoes. Like there's no difference between boy and girl shoes. Like um, I never felt limited because I was a girl. 
Um, I never saw it as a type of handicap. Um, Did you face obstacles as a being female as you were coming up in Canada and karate? Absolutely. I mean, like I felt like I always got recognition, but I always felt like if I had been a male achieving what I had, we I definitely would have gotten more recognition for my for my accomplishments. Um, but beyond that, I I don't think that as a competitor, I was. I don't believe it was as much of an obstacle as much as it is in my coaching career. Well, that's, I was getting to that. I mean, you are the only female head coach of any combat sport in Canada. Do you think about being a role model for girls? I mean, uh, we had Farina Azalari on, uh, on one of our early shows actually. Uh, and she, uh, she's the gold medalist, uh, kickboxer, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Iranian now Canadian, uh, um, interesting, similar trajectory, except of course she grew up in Iran and, but now she's, practicing in Canada and, and with the Canadian team. And she she said a big part of this for her, a big part of the spirit of what she wants to do at this point is is by uh, being who she is, set an example for, for girls, especially girls in Iran, to know that they can do this. Absolutely. I mean, it was never my, like I can say this, it was never my main driver um but i mean it's definitely something that i especially now that i have a daughter i have a lot of girls in my in my school who are working with me and i think it's important that they know that if they put their mind to something and if they really um if they really commit themselves to something they can achieve it regardless of of their gender regardless of anything um but i mean for me all of my goals all of my like i was very self-driven and i think that now that i'm in the position that i am that i'm able to uplift the others and really show them that you know we can all do it when you say if i had been a man the award all the awards i'd won uh, or the recognition i would have gotten more recognition um you think that people would just take you more seriously somehow i don't i mean this i feel like back home in iran yes even more so um but i'm but in canada i mean i've i've been given plenty of recognition i've obviously received a good position in my career um i but i feel like you know with the iranian mentality especially back home it's it's very different you know i mean if 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 you're a woman and you've accomplished certain uh, something it's never looked upon the same as if if it was a man. For Does example. that ever happen overtly? Have you actually heard from people going, "What are you doing with this karate stuff?" or something like that? Not to my face. No, no. they would never say it to your <laughs> no, face. No, no, because you could beat them up. I don't know. I maybe <laughs> but, they're polite. I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. But you feel it. Absolutely, yeah. It's just like it's it's always been there. You know, I want to ask you about being Iranian because you, you left at a very early age with your family. But you, you're so Iranian in so many ways. You know, when you were on that TV program and they were going through your house, I was like, that's an Iranian's house. You know, yeah. it's uh, and, and did, did did you self-identify as Iranian growing up in Canada? Did, did you ever feel like a, an outsider the, the way I certainly did when, I, when we were growing up? Or, or was it generally comfortable for you? I left when I was three months old. Yes. Um, my Farsi was terrible always growing up. But, you know, it's like when you're living with your family, when I was always with my father, um, it's the values that were handed down to me. Um, 
all of my friends were Iranian growing up for the most part. Not all, but I would say majority of them. Um, of course, it's been a big part of my my life and and who I am. Um, and I think it's it's been quite defining, actually, like in, in terms of I feel like I'm it's given me strength. Oh, how's it given you strength to be Iranian? Um, you know, I think as a people, we're very proud and we are always we're quite ambitious mm-hmm. um, and we're not a, we're we're not afraid to verbalize those expectations to our to our children and I think that that was always important for me growing up was the fact that my father always said to me like I expect you to be the best and it was because he believed that I could mm. but I think maybe if I don't know if we were from a different culture or whatever it 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 would have been different I think it was a, a cultural expectation maybe or maybe it was just the fact that he was able to to uh, verbalize it but all of this being said, I mean, I stopped training with my dad at 18 because the pressure was just too much. Hmm. And and I turned around and I told him, like, I would rather have you as my father than as my coach. And he accepted, you know. But something that's really nice to see is despite the fact that you're a girl, I mean, after you, you, you leave it on at three months old, you go to France first, right, for a few years? And, and then Canada? Is that the... Yeah, so we escaped through the mountains. Um, we went to Turkey and then from there we went to Paris. Oh, you, you guys escaped. Yeah, we escaped. Because your dad was uh, he needed was, to. Yeah, because yeah. he was working in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs under the Shah's regime. So he was affiliated with the Shah at the right. time. So that was enough to get him imprisoned for several months. And then after that, he... Before you were born? Um, or as you were born? This is like yes. pretty much as I was born. Right. Because wow. I was only three months old when... Wow. When when uh, we left and we we ended up having to flee through the mountains and we left with nothing except for the clothes on our backs, my father and four children and a wife. So, wow. yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, having experienced like I, I don't remember that experience, but I mean, having known that this this was your past, um, that your father had everything. He was educated. He had his his world. And then we pretty much left and we started with nothing. You know, you you feel when you're growing up that I have to do something. And if I'm going to do something, I'm going to absolutely apply myself. I was going to say, despite the fact that you've grown up in Canada, you are really embraced by the Iranian community. I mean, Iranians are proud of you, those that know, you know, of you and your story. And I understand a lot of the the students that you have are are Iranian too right they yeah. I mean they clearly like they're like we get to work with Nassim <laughs> that how does that feel um I think it's great um you know the Persian kids like who are who have grown up here even like I have friends who I grew up with at the karate school and we're still friends after 30 something years um you know we're I guess Canadian mentality, we all grew up here and now the generation of students that I work with, yeah, they have Persian parents, but they're all Canadian children. Um, But it's still really nice to have that community over there Um, and that, you know, we we continue to give back to the community and and I really enjoy that. You went to York University for psychology. I did, yeah. So is that to say that you 
given that your dad was the karate guy and that you you had become you were already competing at that you escaped the Iranian um, parental pressure of doctor or engineer and you <laughs> you were able to at least get the psychology uh, uh, subject or or was that not even a conversation in your family? you know my dad I mean like I said he was like a very like Iranian man but he was he was educated in Europe. I mean, he wasn't your typical Persian guy. He was extremely open-minded. He was very well-spoken. It was never, he never had that expectation that you have to go and become a doctor and you have to marry a doctor and you have to do all this stuff. It was like, it was always do one thing and be good at it. It was always that, just follow your passion. But if you're gonna go a certain direction, you should excel and succeed in that and that was always something that I practiced so was psychology something that was particularly interesting to you I actually switched over from a business major to psychology I took a psychology course courses just a subject elective and then I was like, wow, I like this. This is fun. I actually enjoy reading the material. So I switched over. My and again, you're, you're on the national team at that point, right? You're competing and going to university for psychology by day, by night. She's a karate I champion. Was, those years at York, I was teaching at a private school. Um, I had an after-school karate program, and that's how I was per- pretty much making my my own pocket money. Um, I was an athlete on the national team, and I was teaching at my dad's school seven days a week. I don't know how I did it. Like those years just went by, and it, it's it's all quite vague to me. Um, you know, my father started to become ill, and he had less energy to teach, and I needed to take on more classes over there. So I had to do what I had to do, um, and. It was it was hard. Those years at York, it was just like it was really difficult. But this is kind of a theme with you, right? You're a, um, I mean, even now you're a mother of two. You run a gym. You're the national team coach. You're active on social media. Like you're hired. You're not a retiring personality, right? I don't know. I think I just like to create <laughs> havoc for myself. No, I mean, it's what, what is that all about for you? What is it with that, that doing so many things? I mean, I guess I've never known a different way of life. I've always been a multitasker. I've always liked to be busy. I've always liked to fill the hours of my day. And I've always liked to do the the most that I can with my time, to to use my time to do the most that I can with. And, to, and I, I can honestly say the most difficult time in my life was when my children were still in diapers and I had to stay home and just feed them and change their diapers and I can honestly say that it was like it was mentally and emotionally one of the most challenging times of my life because just because I felt confined and I felt like I needed to be doing so much more and I was so driven like I felt like not to take anything away from how hard it is to child absolutely not no it was so difficult it was so difficult and it was just it was honestly one of the most challenging times of my life really was like mentally physically and emotionally it was exhausting Mm -hmm. but at the same time i like it's not being exhausted that i have a problem with like i can (laughs) travel i can i i was competing i was studying i was working it was just feeling like confined feeling confined yeah you've never i mean there's probably been no point in your life where you had to be at home working on a project, in this case, two small kids, right? Yeah, and I had them back to back. 
my children are a year and a day apart. So should I assume that there's no third kid forthcoming? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm, I mean, the kids are, my daughter's 10 and my son is 9. And it's just, it, it wouldn't make sense to, I mean, when people ask me if I want to have more kids, I'm like, why? Does the world need any more people? Number one. And I, I would rather do my best with two kids and try to raise two good human beings rather than just have more, more children and have less time for them. More people, but then you got a bigger team to work to work at the the dojo and yeah, that's get it. Them I'll to have do my, things. <laughs> uh, my cleaning staff and my teaching. That's right. That's right. That was a reason people had a lot of kids in the past, right? They get them to work the fields. Do things. Uh, I, I said I want to come back to you being competitive. How how important are the the awards that you've received to you? Uh, I, I mean, I know the one thing that has eluded you through no fault of your own, because it wasn't an Olympic sport until recently, is an Olympic medal. Is it really important to you, or, or can you be satisfied with being as successful as you've been? It was never important to me, because if it was, I think I would have quit a long time ago. Like, I I would not have been driven as an athlete if my if if one of my priorities was to be recognized as an athlete um number one at the time um we weren't an olympic sport so the government funding was a lot less um for i mean i would say the first few years of my my years as an athlete on the national team i was self-funded like we had to pay for ourselves to travel to represent canada like as crazy as it sounds but this is you have to run around looking for sponsors absolutely but i mean this is not just true for our sport but true for almost all of the national sports right um, and then when I achieved um, my first, I, th- I think it was my silver gold medal at the Pan Ams, and I became carded. And that's when the government starts to, to give you money, like basically having a salary. And they were also paying for my uh, university tuition. And that was like, that was a huge break for me. So after, I would say my first few years on the national team, after that I became carded and I was carded for about six years. What does carded mean? Carded means... Other than checking your age when you're going to buy alcohol? Um, Isn't that what getting carded means? No, no, no. Right. So when when you're an athlete on the Canadian national team and you achieve a certain performance, um, for example, a medal at the world championships or or top eight at the world championships mm-hmm. or even a medal at a at a continental event, it's, it's a pretty big achievement and it's difficult to achieve. So the national team program, along with the government, they basically um, start to give you salary um, monthly and they pay for your university or college tuition. You know, competitive sport is obviously something for that you can't do forever. Uh, that it's, it's a young person's game to a certain extent. But 27 seems like a, a young age to retire. Yeah. Why did you call it quits at 27? I was burnt out. I was burnt out. I mean... I was coaching myself most of most of the time. I mean, like I said earlier, I stopped training under my dad. I mean, formerly my my father was always my coach. We had the coach of the national team, but because we weren't centralized, we were all the the coach was out in another province and we didn't I saw him maybe once or twice a year. So I was making my own training plans. I would drive I I, I would drive to Montreal by myself just to be able to have training partners. Wow. I had I had nobody to work with here. So between Because they weren't good enough? I mean, for example, I needed people my my weight. Mm-hmm. I need I mean, I had guys at the dojo I could have trained with, but 
they were like six foot something and like I don't know close to 200 pounds so it's it's very different I mean for right. me as a competitor tactically it didn't it wasn't very helpful in terms of my distancing it wasn't very helpful and of course like a guy that big can't go all out on you so right. I mean it, it just wasn't it wasn't what I needed as an athlete so I would drive out I it's would, a constant hustle. It sounds like a constant hustle. It was. Um, it was. So, I mean, like, I feel like I exhausted. Um, I was exhausted. Even after my first silver at the World Championships, I I didn't want to continue after that. I was happy. I was like, you know what? I achieved the medal at the World Championships, and I'm happy with it. And then I had the pressure from everybody around me in the National Federation, and they were like, you can't stop now. You have to keep going. And I was on a streak. Like, I was... I was I was meddling at almost every international event that I went to. I was very consistent, so I had some pressure to 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 stay on, and I went on to the to the next World Championships, which was two years after that, and I meddled again, and then I was like, okay, now I'm done. <laughs> and plus, I had a torn ligament in my knee when I went to that last competition, so I was training with a lot of pain, and I was getting. I was getting some treatment and injections in my knee just to get me through training because it was too close to the world championship, so I couldn't get surgery. Have you ever regretted it? I mean, you're still not very old. You could p presumably jump back in, right? No, not at all. No? I, I was ready to start the next chapter of my life. But What does it mean to you to be the Canadian national team coach? I mean, it's a great honor. I don't know. It's It's just been a really great experience you know and i'm so happy that my daughter can see that i'm that i'm in this position and i and i know that she's she's really proud of me and what, that makes me happy <laughs> what do you what do you learn by being a coach rather than being the the player wow it's so much more difficult to be a coach it's funny i mean it sometimes is, huh? sometimes when i'm at a world championships and i'm just running everywhere you know you have to make sure everybody's healthy everybody's weight is good and everybody's weighed in and everybody's registered and everybody's where they should be and everybody knows what time they're competing and then sometimes you have to deal with like family and friends and then you have to deal with some political stuff that's happening mm -hmm. there is just so much that you have to take on at a big event and it was just so much easier as an athlete when you can just focus on yourself, you go in your bubble and you just, you know, especially as a more seasoned athlete where you understand the routine and you're not like worried and intimidated by, by the name of an event. Oh, it's an Olympic games. Oh, You've it's, got one job to do. Absolutely. Right. But as a coach, it's in, and as a coach, you have to take on everybody's pressure. You know, you have to take on everybody's stress and it's, it's, it's a completely different it's a completely different experience and it's exhausting. Like I will come home from the world championships and I just feel like I'm in pieces. I'm exhausted, you know. Um, You've mentioned uh, weight a few times. You know, you have to make sure that people have a certain weight and because that's important in competing, you're in weight classes, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's not a question I thought I was gonna ask, but does it, does it, are you really disciplined about, I mean, if we come to your house for a mehmoni, <laughs> Do we get portions of Gaimel? Oh, like, God, you know, no. you're not allowed to have very much because you have to stay in your weight class? You know? No, absolutely not. I mean, even when I was an athlete and I was competing, I was always at my comfortable weight. I mean, there's 
there's some athletes on the national team who have to do like pretty big weight cuts going into competition and it's exhausting like especially mm. in those last 24 hours when they cut their water and they're depleted oh my god yeah and it's just like you just got to make sure that like everything is going well because you know when you travel and you're in europe or you're in you're in asia and all of a sudden you know jet lag long flight no food no water it's right. just like it, it, i mean you, you you we really have to be there to support the athletes do you still eat rice and bread I love it. Of course. So that's okay. We can still eat that. Yeah. <laughs> I love bread and rice. <laughs> of I, course. I feel like that's my I that's my the bane of my existence. I can't stop. <laughs> you know, you can't take the burger. I can't stop eating the. If I I know that if I if I ate less rice and bread, I could be I I wouldn't you know I wouldn't have to I just be naturally lean. I wouldn't have to go to the gym all the time. Yeah, but, but then you would take away one of life's many pleasures. A hundred percent. And that's, I mean, if you're a foodie, you're a foodie, so. You know, I, I was thinking about your your trajectory and your father and your role model and your inspiration that he was. And and um, you lost your dad in March 2015. It was just a, I know what that could be like because I lost my dad five months earlier. Um, tell me about how losing him affected you. Oh, that's a tough one because it affected me in so many ways. But I would say one thing that came out of that was I think I became uncompromising in some ways. I wanted to live life in a way that made me happy. There was one moment when I was at the hospital with my father and it was like in one of his last days and I asked him if he had any regrets and he said many and it was like you know I was at the hospital with my dad and he he wasn't and we often spoke I mean he and I were very chatty with each other we we spoke of politics we spoke of 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 everything um and then so I was there with him and he was just he was there and I was there and and he wasn't talking but I could tell like he wasn't sleeping but I could tell there was so much going on in his mind and I just it was one thing that I wanted to know I just wanted to know if he had regrets and I didn't ask him what they were it didn't matter and he said many and I decided at that moment that I want to live my life in such a way that I have none so I mean when I lost him that was just like I just told myself that you know we had that conversation and I just like that's something that I really took away from it I've heard that you actually had an offer to teach in Iran yeah um, I had that took been, a lot out of you didn't it talking about your dad like that no I mean it's funny because we had that conversation and you know I had to go to a national team training camp hmm. and I knew, you know, like at that time he was very ill and I knew that if I go to this camp, I may not see him again. Yeah. And then I think that was one of the last days I saw him. I saw him maybe once after that. What was he, what was he suffering from? He had, he had cancer hmm. and, um, and he was very weak in those last days and I went to camp. And I went to the training camp and then they called me when I was at the training camp and and they said that your father's probably not going to 
be with us for much longer. You need to come to the hospital now. And I left the camp and I was driving to the hospital and I didn't make it in time. I was just a few minutes late. Anyway, so I mean that that last conversation that I had with him was it was it was important to me. Yeah. It was important. What was that last question you had? Hmm. I feel like I kind of went back. It's okay. No, 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 no it was important. Uh, no, I was asking about, uh, um, I had heard that you had this opportunity this year or recently to actually teach in Iran, and that was something that had interested you, and I was sort of going to end with where you're going now with things. Um, yeah, so I have been asked to, like I would say for the last like eight years or so, I've been asked to go and do seminars and to teach and to run clinics. In Iran? Um, yeah, because there's like thousands of girls practicing karate, like so many more than there are here. Um, it's it's such a big sport. It's such a big sport in Iran. So are they? Is there a dress code or what? What are they? Yeah, allowed I mean, to do in Iran. Um, the girls have to wear the head coverings when they compete. Um, Sorry, I, are there are the head coverings a, a disadvantage in competition? I would imagine it's uh, it's yeah. uncomfortable. You, have you ever tried it? No, no, no. Oh, I haven't tried it. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes I see the girls having to sew it to their heads just because sometimes, oh sometimes yeah. in a clinch, you know, in, or or in, a, in in middle of a throw, you know, all of a sudden the, the they sew the scarf. they sew the headscarf to their head. Yeah, so they sew it to their hair. So to they make hair. a ponytail and then you just run it through their. Yeah, I mean, it's just like yeah, it's it's uncomfortable i'm sure and but i mean they they uh, don't have a choice i was actually speaking with somebody earlier and you know some some of the other muslim countries like egypt and morocco it's it's optional the girls there are girls on the national team who wear it and there's others who don't and they're free to do so and with the iranians it's completely different um so but but i've been asked to to do seminars to run clinics it's it's been on the table for i'd say the last eight years or so but this last this past year, they actually asked me to go and coach their female national team. And we were in serious discussions. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, like it was something I was strongly considering um, just because I feel like, you know, what a great end to like I I have been committed to the Canadian national team. And but it was just it would be it would be such a nice way to honor my father's legacy and his life's work. Mm -hmm. If I was to go and finish my coaching career in coaching the Iranian national team. I think it would just wrap things up so perfectly. Um, so we were in discussions and at, and then it's like everything just happened with the killing of the Iranian general and then the, the shooting down of the Ukrainian jet and, right. and then COVID. COVID so it just yeah, seems yeah. like everything just fell through the cracks. Um, but so, it's something you're open to, huh? It was. I think the situation is very different now. Like, um, meaning you would move to Iran? I would have moved for the contract. Like I, I, I would have moved for those for those months. Mm. And I mean, when you know that you're away, of course it's difficult for me to be away from, from my family, from my right. children. But when you know that it's for a defined period of six months and you need to endure, it's like you commit to something and you go. I mean, regardless of when you accept the circumstances, then you accept it. How do you define success now, Nassim? I mean, if you have accolades and achievements and you're not content and you're not happy, then you haven't achieved success. I think it's when you are at peace with with yourself. It's when you are happy, um, when you're alone and nobody's watching. And 
I can honestly say that I am. I'm I'm happy with the decisions I've made in my life, with my career path, with how with how I interact with others, with with how I treat with, with how I treat others, with how I view myself. So I think that's a big part of being successful is, you know, not just how the public perceives you and and all the titles you can have under your belt. It's it's also how I feel when I'm just me, myself and I. Hmm. So thank you for doing this today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. It wasn't too bad. You're doing an interview. It was. You've been avoiding interviews all those years. I, it's actually a lot of fun, and I think you know. I think I could get used to it, and I'm feeling more comfortable to. They're not all going to gonna be this good. <laughs> Let's face it. Okay. But uh, really, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. That's Nassim Vadaste, karate champion, and the current national team head coach for Karate Canada. She joined us here in the Rook Studio. زخم قدیمی باز هنوم میشه تاز هنوم عطو روحم سوزونه است بیرون یه راز هنوم زخم قدیمی باز هنوم میشه تاز هنوم این کلمه ها مرهمن و این هنجره بهترین ساز هنوم بگو همه بیان که تنه اومدم تنه اومدم نداره زخم رو مسر با درد دار اومدم برادرم نداشتش معرفت تو مثل یوسف در بارد چه اومدم We'll taste him some brand new music from Air Fawn, our friend, and an album called Angizeh that came out this week, and that's a song called Zachme Qadimi, that's uh, featuring Jidal. Nice to have a new record from Erfan. Uh, Nassim Varaste has left the studio. The fabulous Keon and our uh, Rook team is back in their place. Uh, hi, Keon. Hello, Gian. How's it going? How about uh, Nassim? Huh? She's she's a strong woman. I have to say, it's um, it's it's not, it's refreshing to see a woman that's the opposite of a Persian princess. You know that stereotype. And actually, I think I want to call my mom after this and yell at her for not putting me in karate. You want to yell at your? Oh, I think I, see. I do. Yeah. <laughs> listening to this interview uh, about Nassim made you angry at your mother. It actually. Well, she reminded me a lot of myself. Even when she was talking about playing soccer, she would just go around tackling kids. That's what I did. They called me the bulldozer and on you the don't soccer do, field. You have, you've not done karate. No, my mom was too much of a like a feminine. She was like, "Oh, don't ruin your looks. I don't want you to get scars <laughs> playing soccer." You wow. know. She just uh, and she, how did that work out? I mean, I I ended up playing rugby. Right, so not rugby, very well. oh, I did. Boy. I have a lot of anger. Well, I take it out in sports. Well, sounds like uh, mm. well, I, I don't think it, that karate is not necessarily the place for anger. It sounds like it's quite meditative in some ways. Is it though? I don't know. <laughs> That's what it was sold to me that way, physically and spiritually. <laughs> um, so, Groovy Shia, your impressions. Yes. Uh, Actually, I didn't know Nassim before this interview, and uh, thank you for introducing uh, mm. her to me. That's a tundarat nakon. Really, I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully done. No, that, that's a callback to earlier in the show, by the uh, way. Nothing to do with done. Nassim. Nicely done. Uh, uh, no, no, really, really. I, 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 I got impressed by her. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think carrying the weight of following your father in your father's footsteps, uh, given that he was such a legend in the same sport, 
and achieving what she's achieved is yeah. is magnificent and yeah. she's a great personality reza any comments yeah, captain reza thank well thanks for uh rephrasing that <laughs> but uh same impression i was quite impressed by her discipline and uh perseverance and just her p passion for it was so interesting to me that she said when she started uh karate she wasn't passionate about it she didn't find it interesting mm, yeah. she hated it and then as she realized that she's really good at it she she became super passionate about the sport see i will cop to something i didn't want to say it to her but when i was a kid my dad i i i, I my dad put me in judo for a while judo and I just got beaten up and, and, <laughs> and, and, and said that I don't want to go anymore. <laughs> and so I like, I, you know, she persevered for six years yeah. and then fell in love with it. Yeah. I think I lasted less than six weeks. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have a very similar story. Yeah. My dad put me in karate. I got beaten up. I burned down the locker room <laughs> and then that was it. My dad was like, no more karate for you. you I, literally burnt down the locker room? Yeah, with matches. In Iran? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I burnt down the guy, the guy's, uh, uh, gym bag that was that beat me up and then the whole thing how old oh were my you? god yeah. how old oh, were you seven and a half. he's like five years old <laughs> no no, <laughs> no seven, he was seven. seven. Se wow yeah. reza what was wrong with I you love matches <laughs> uh, um uh, by the way have uh keon uh, you've gone to the arta gallery i have in the yes. distillery the beautiful distillery district of uh, toronto uh this show these uh, these shows this week are brought to us by the arta gallery it is a a gallery that uh, houses international and canadian artists as well as supporting a lot of iranian artists or, or iranian or iranians who are artists in the diaspora uh, they have a lot of events there uh, it's a fabulous space if you are in toronto or if you're coming at any point uh, head down and check out the Arta Gallery, and thanks to the Arta Gallery for all that you do for the community. The fabulous Keon is here, Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, that can only mean one thing, Letters of the Week. Okay, so this week on episode 32, we had an interview with the guitar virtuoso himself, Mr. Bobak Amini. We had a few people write in to us. We have a Negin Dusti. She wrote to us on YouTube saying, Beautiful interview, Gian. Thank you. I think what makes Mr. Amini's music impressive, in addition to his rhythm, speed, accuracy, and dexterity, is his incredible ability to connect his inner self with the outer world. Bobak's music reflects his sensitive soul, his creative mind, and his serene personality. Very beautifully wow. written. That's not the letter of the week? Uh, no. That's so nicely written. <laughs> I know. You got some doozies coming we, up. I, I got guess. some yeah. good ones coming. Thank you, Negin. And we have Mina Mohazab on Facebook wrote, That was amazing. Thank you, Gian, for a good choice. Now I know Bobak Amini better and have so much respect for him. Bravo, man. Nice. Thank you, Mina. As well, we have Farzanet. Aurevali. Aurevali. Sure. No, it's not. It's V L I. I think it's Aurevali. Is that possible? Let's go with that. So she wrote saying, He is such a great artist and a wonderful person. He is indeed. Thank you, Fazlane. 
As well, last week on episode 31, we had an interview with the pioneering human rights attorney, Banafsha Akhlaqi, which I am a huge fan of. I'm a new, huge fan of this new wonderful woman. But yeah, some people I, are not. Or not that, not that they're not fans of her, but weren't weren't happy with some of the... Yeah, it seems like it. The, what, uh, of the, the issues we discussed last week. I just like her for her strength and personality, just her human nature. She, you know, she has such a sensitive, beautiful soul. Um, so we have a Ali Reza Asghari on YouTube wrote, It's not a racist quote when you say some of my brothers and sisters in the Middle East look like me, but others don't. The only variation in human genomes is 0.1%. What is the meaning of people of color? It is better to say we're all human and should have the same rights and responsibilities in our society. The stupid radical lefts and right divide people by their colors, genders, ethnicities, and religions. Hmm. Okay, Ali Reza, thank you for that. And then moving on, we have a Patty Noz Talerani from Vancouver. She wrote to us on Instagram saying, this was awesome. She's such a brilliant lady. Mm -hmm. So Sultan BC on YouTube wrote, I wish we could record voice comments for you. He moves on saying, the way our Canadian society sees us is based on our behavior, especially us Iranians that are like a rainbow, so different from each other. I grew up on the streets of Vancouver in the late 80s. The first time I went to see my mom and dad in Iran, I was drafted in the army. You can only imagine my stories as a kid growing up in Canada, then serving in the, in the Iranian army on the police force. Nowadays, I still travel to Iran often, and I see a lot of Iranians here in BC that try to be something they are not. Hmm. You know, uh, we we should do that uh, voice comments. I know, I like that. Idea. That's, that's a good idea. Through Instagram, they can uh, voice comments. They can send through Instagram, oh, or they can right. even email it to us, or leave a Facebook message, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Voice yeah, comment that way, and then we can play it. Anyway, good idea, Sultan. Yeah, Sultan BC. Idea. Thank yeah, you. Interesting thought. So uh, the next person writes in a different tone. Uh, we have a Mojgan Qarizadeh on Facebook wrote. So happy you are back, Gian. No doubt you're the most talented broadcaster in Canada. You know what? I, I tend to agree. I think so. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you much, God. Um, and wow, we have the letter of the week. The letter of the week. And can I just say, this letter touched me, really, and I'm sure it'll touch Banafsha. She, like... Th this letter is basically the reason why I think Rook exists. One of the most beautiful things uh -huh. is when, you know... Just let me read it. Okay. Let me read it out to you. So we have a Hassan Amin on YouTube wrote, My name is Hassan Amin. Jian, I wish one day I could tell you my family story. My story begins when Banafsha Akhlaqi came to rescue my brother and myself from deportation proceedings due to the special registration imposed. Banafsha briefly touched on it. I can tell you from a first-hand account as we went through it. Normal college-going student sent to jail with shackles for nothing. Banafsha is godsend. I regard her as my mother. If it wasn't for her, I would have never had a life in North America. I owe everything to her, my family along with my life. She is the kindest human, human being we have ever met, and I can tell you this much. We were the first brothers whose case was turned around from deportation proceedings to green card. This brings back bittersweet memories, and now after hearing this interview, I know why Banafsha took us under her wings and helped us. That wow. was really wow. beautiful. Wow. Mind blown. That's, you know. Who would have thought? 
Thank you, Hassan. Hassan Amin? Yeah, Hassan Amin. That's really great yeah. that you wrote in. And we got to pass that along to Ben Asher. Oh, you did? Uh, we, oh, you I, will? No, we have to. Of, I, of I, course. That's the first yeah, time seeing beautiful. it. She would love. She'll love this, I think. I mean, I, she'll obviously re- remember him, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, thank you. Letter of the week, Hassan Amin. Um, <laughs> Very deserving <laughs> round of applause. Bravo to Hassan Amin. Some passive applause from three people, <laughs> uh, four people. Uh, thank you, Keon, the fabulous Keon, for the letters of the week. Thank you, Captain Reza. Thank you, Groovy Shia. I want to go on in some special music. Let me tell you what it is. A little bit of Chartar from their debut record in 2014. A song called Ashubam. Thank you so much for listening to Rook. Thank you so much for supporting. Thanks to our incredible little Rook team. Reza, Shia, Susan, Ponta, Meritad, Keon, Muhammad, the whole gang. Remember to keep in touch with us at info at rookmedia.com and subscribe. Mizumbashin.
I'm not afraid. 